Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. It's so great to have all of you here today. Good to see you guys. Are you glad to be here? What? Are you glad to be here? All right. Thanks. So, you know what? Um, You know, I've had about six or seven people today tell me how much they like my new suit. You know that? You like my new suit? Thanks. I know you would. But the only problem is I've had this suit for about 10 years. <laughs> it's not new at all. It's something about, I guess, wearing a vest, everything. Like, even, even Josh, who's you know, a real connoisseur of fashion, he, uh, he uh, complimented me on my uh, suit this morning. But it's not a new suit. But we are going to talk about clothes today, what God wants us to put on. And I want that you guys have your time and your music and your ministry and your sharing in God's Word. I want you guys to think about what God wants you to put on this week when you go to your neighborhoods, to your schools, to your homes, to the various places that you can show people how much God loves them by how you live and how you act. And let's have a word of prayer together and we'll dismiss you, okay? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us, and your kindness and compassion. I thank you for each of these young lives, these young people, Lord, you've entrusted to our care for these next few moments. And we pray as they open God's word, as they sing together and share together, that their lives will continue to be touched and changed and as they grow in you and in your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. See you guys next week. Well, thank you. (laughs) So we're going to continue our study this morning from Colossians, and we're glad you've come to join us today. And uh, as we do so, we are going to talk about clothes and what we put on and what we take off as according to last week as we uh, talked about that. I titled this morning's message, uh, Dress for Success. It's interesting, when you, if you put that in and, and uh, pull up anything on the Internet and so on, Dress for Success, everything comes up with really nice dress clothes and suits and so forth, and, uh, you know, and, and dresses. And, but in actuality, depending what your calling in life is, uh, your outfit that you wear that would be successful for you is going to be quite different. There are some of you here that uh, tomorrow are going to be uh, wearing maybe hard hats uh, and tool belts because of where you work. It's required and it's necessary. Some of you are going to be wearing uniforms, uh, firefighters, police officers. Some of you are in the medical field and you're going to wear the things appropriate uh, for your occupation, what you do. Uh, some of you are going to be running errands. Uh, some of you are going to be doing all sorts of different things. And you, and you dress and you wear uh, clothes that are appropriate for what you have been called to do. And if you don't dress that way, it could inhibit uh, what, what, what you're planning to do, right? You have to dress for success. You have to dress appropriately for what you have been called to do. And this morning, as we continue our study from... Uh, Colossians. I want you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to just quick review how we got to this point, because I told you last week that these two lessons go together. Colossians uh, chapter 3, and at the end of it last week, we saw in verses 8 and 9, where the Apostle Paul says, you must now rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, 
slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we see in this passage this, this language very clearly of taking off garments. And the Apostle Paul says that these, these characteristics of life, anger, rage, malice, slander, language, filthy language, um, lying to one another, along with the sexual sins that are listed before those that we looked at as well, that, that Paul says, remove these things. Take these off. They're, they are imperatives. Remember we talked about that, that they are imperatives. These are commands. You are to do this. And also there is the balance that we can only do this because God has enabled us and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to do these things. Both are, both are there. Both are required. God gives you the power and God asks you to do these things. And so these are the things that we are to take off. But the wonderful thing about the scriptures and God's plan for us is that we are not told just what not to do. We are told what to do. It's easy to, you know, and sometimes as Christians, sometimes we are known more for the things that we don't do and what we, what we don't practice as opposed to what we do. And in this particular case, the Lord gives us instructions as to how to dress for success for our lives for ministry by what we are to do. It's one thing to remove these things, but what do you put on in their place? And so we come to verse we come to verse 12, and we're going to talk this morning about the things that we are to put on to replace the things that we have taken off. In verse 12, Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. And I, I want to make a note here that, like, and I'm reading from the NIV translation this morning, you'll notice that, it's partway into this verse where it says, clothe yourselves. In the original text in the Greek language, that word is thrown to the front. It actually begins a phrase. You've taken these things off. Now clothe yourselves as God's dearly loved and holy and chosen people. So he throws that to the front for emphasis. Here's what you are to do. Here's what you are to put on. And I just want to stop there and before we talk about those specific things, to remind us what he calls us here. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who we are. We are holy people. We are saints. The, words, the word saint means to be set apart, to be sanctified. It comes from the Old Testament uh, religious worship in the temple and so forth, where they were to be set apart for God. You have been set apart for God if you know Christ as Savior. God says you are holy. God says we are dearly, dearly loved. And that is so important. You know, and I just I want to remind you, as I know I do often, and I want to remind you again today that, that God loves you, God loves me today as much as he is ever going to love me and he is ever going to love you. So often our concept of love is conditional. That we feel as if we act lovable enough that we will be loved more. 
When it comes to God's love, God's love is not conditional. God's love is because he, cho- he chose to love us. He chooses to love us. That's what it says here. He chose you. What does it mean he chose you? He chose to love you. Amen? God chose to love you. God says that about his people in the Old Testament. He says, he says in Deuteronomy, do not think. Do not think that you are my people because you are so numerous. And I think the implication is because you are so wonderful or so smart or anything else. It's because I chose to set my love upon you. God has made a choice to love us. We are dearly loved. We are called by God and we are called holy. So therefore, just as I used the illustration last week that as a, as a citizen, um, I, I can live like a bad citizen or a good citizen. I'm still a citizen, but, 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 God, but, but my government, my community, my society, our neighbors, want us, we want to live as good citizens. When I represent my country, when I travel overseas to represent it well, we are, we are citizens of heaven. But God wants us to now dress ourselves in such a way that shows that to other people that they can see and that our lives express who we really are. And so we have here some characteristics that God has called. And I want to, I want to remind you, and I remind myself, this is not a pick and choose, okay? This is not a list of characteristics you can look over and say, okay, I like that one, I don't like this one, I like... No, this is something we are all called to put on. Every one of us. Every one of us. And if there's one of them that you, that you struggle with, um, it, it's, it's not a matter of saying, well, that one's not so great, but this one's good, so I'll move on. No, God wants us to pause over each of these because, because this is what we are called to be. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Put on these clothes. Put on. You've taken off these old things. Now replace them with the new garments. And let's take a look at these that God has called us to have. First of all, God has called us to have compassion. Now, I put the word up there just because I love this word. I can't hardly even say it in English. Splongna. Okay? It doesn't come off the tongue too easy in English. Okay? But I like that word. And the reason I put that up there, some of you, if you... Use the King James Bible or remember the King James. This is the one where it's bowels of mercy, right? Bowels of compassion. And you might think to yourself, well, that's kind of odd, you know, to talk about intestines of mercy, right? But that's what the word is. That's what the word is because it's the Greek word for your stomach, for your intestines. And I want you to think about it. Where really is the seat of your emotions? Is it really your heart? And we talk about our heart, right? But when, when, when something happens in your life, where, if something happens that, that, that all of a sudden really causes you worry or anxiety, where do you feel it? Isn't it, isn't it here where you really feel that? Isn't that where it is? This is the idea. This is where our, much of our feelings are, and this is where the word comes from. This is why the King James said, bowels of mercy, because it's the idea of your most innermost being the emotive part of you, the inward part of you that, that feels these things. And he says, this is where you are to have this compassion and this feeling of sympathy for the needs and sufferings of others. It's a very emotive term. God calls us to put this on. 
We are to have compassion for each other and for other people. We are to be compassionate people. We are to feel compassion. Yes, we are to think it. Yes, we are to analyze it. But we are called to feel it, to enter into people's world and have that compassion for them in our, in our inmost being. Paul says, put this on. Put it on. Secondly, Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion. And then he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. What does the word kindness mean? Think of a kind person in your life. Can you think of a kind person? I mean, all of us should be kind, but there are people in my life who I could think of who who are just, I said, they're just kind people. What does that mean to you when someone is kind, when they are kind to you? It's a ready disposition to, to listen, to respond, to, to do good to people, to be a kind person. Don't you like to be around kind people? Don't you like to live next to kind neighbors? Don't you like to work next to a kind person? The Apostle Paul says, put this on. It's an imperative. Clothe yourselves. This is not an option. This is not a pick and choose. We are to be compassionate people. We are to feel compassion for people. We are to act kindly to people. And it's hard to separate these because the next one, of course, is another big term that Paul has said, you need to clothe yourselves with humility. Humility. You know, it's interesting that in the Greek world, in the world from which the New Testament originates, This idea of humility was considered too close to the idea of servility, being a servant. Humility was not held up as a high character trait to aspire to. It's too close to servanthood, and they knew much about that. It's possible that in the the Greek-Roman world that the New Testament came out of, maybe up to a third of the people were in some type of servanthood. And this is not something you aspire to. And this word in the Greek is too close to humility. And so humility is not a a, a golden characteristic in the Greek world. But in the Christian world, in the New Testament, and especially beginning with our Lord Jesus Christ, humility is a deep, rich character quality that we are all called to be and to have. We are called to be humble People. Psalm 25, 9, the humble, he guides in justice. The Lord Jesus Christ is our model for humility. You're in Colossians. If you were to go back just a few pages to the book previous in Philippians chapter 2, we have this passage that speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in some of the newer translations, it's written in sort of a hymn, a poetic form that could almost be sung. And it maybe have been sung in the early church. Your attitude should be the same, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, there's no doubt, there is no doubt that Christ was truly God. I mean, it says it right there. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of, of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is our model for humility. You read his life. Read the Gospels. Read the conclusion of the story. We're going to come and gather uh, next week on Sunday night on Palm Sunday. We're going to gather in the evening for the Living Last Supper presentation by our sister church over in Port Archer. It's a very moving and powerful message about the Last Supper. We're going to come and gather on Good Friday as a church family, and our choir is going to share a ministry of music, and we're going to share in communion together as we meditate and contemplate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was God himself, and yet he became a human being. He humbled himself and went to the cross at Calvary, and he died. He died for us. Why? He humbled himself because he loves us. This is a very, very important biblical quality in the New Testament that we are called to have. We are called to be humble people. And friends, I don't know about you, but that is not easy. I think we all know that our human nature is really geared toward putting ourselves first. Let's be honest, right? We think about ourselves. We think about what's good for us. We think about what would be helpful for us. We think about what others should do for us. It's part of our human nature to think of ourselves first. But God asks us to be like Christ Jesus and to set that aside and think of others first. That's what it means, to humble yourself, to, to, to realize that, that we are sinners saved by grace. And to realize, I mean, I have to, I mean, I, do you ever stop and think for yourself? Except for the grace of God, where would you be today? Where would you be today? Except for the grace of God. To humble ourselves. You know, I, I watch, I've been watching basketball, of course, of the playoffs and I enjoy sports. I'm not, a, I'm not, you know, over the top and so on, but I enjoy sports. I played sports and so on. Some people get offended when, I, when they interview someone and, and he says, I give all glory to God and so on. I say, that's not offensive to me. And if it comes from a humble heart to say this, I'm here because, because God gave me abilities. God gave, yes, I worked, I practiced, I worked hard, you know, and so forth. But, but God gave me his abilities. I, all glory to God. I say, amen. All glory to God. No matter what area of life you participate in, it's God who gave you even the ability to do those things. Whether it's music, athletics, education, science, building, legal, whatever, you're, whatever God's called you. And listen, friends, whatever God has called you to is a Christian vocation. The pastors of this church, we are not the only ones who have a Christian vocation, our missionaries. We all have a Christian vocation, wherever God has called you. And God has called you to be humble. To be humble like our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this next one too. I love it not because I do it all the time, but because these are the kind of people I like to be around. Gentleness. Don't misunderstand gentleness for weakness. After all, we once again have the same example. Who is the, who is the example in the Bible of gentleness? The Lord Jesus Christ. Was he weak? You can answer. Was he weak? No. no thank you. <laughs> yeah. He was gentle. 
The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you. Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is, is easy, I, I am gentle, I am meek. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you have just, wouldn't it, I wonder how it, would, how, how would it change my life? How would it change my life if I could go back in time and spend five minutes with the Lord Jesus Christ on earth? I wonder how it would change my life. Knowing what we know now. They didn't know it at the time. But knowing what we know now, to go back and spend five minutes and watch him, watch his eyes, watch his hands, Listen to his voice. Wouldn't you, wouldn't, I, I, I would love to have been at that last supper when it says that before they, before they went out, before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, it says they sang a hymn together. They sang one of the Hallel hymns together, one of the Psalms from the Old Testament. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard the Lord Jesus Christ lift his voice and sing to hear his voice sing the psalms and to sing the word of God. We can't go back in time. But we can go back in the Bible. And we can read carefully in the Gospels of his life and, and, and listen to it. And think about it. He was gentle and strong. And we've been called to put on gentleness. The Apostle Paul says, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Patience. I think I hear most from people most often, and I would be the first to join the crowd, to say this is one of the most difficult ones for us. We get in so impatient, especially in our world today. We get so impatient. And we are called to forbear to have tolerance. This is one of the prime Christian virtues, friends, that we are called to be patient people. Patient with one another. Sometimes patient with ourselves. We become so impatient. These are things we are to put on. These are things we are to wear. This is the kind of people we are to be. This is a high calling. Look at the list. Look at the list. Compassionate. Kind. Humble. Gentle. Patient. Wow. But that's what we're called to be. These are imperatives. These are not suggestions. These are not pick and choose. This is the kind of husband you and I should be. This is the kind of father I should be. This is the kind of wife and mother and uncle and aunt and friend and neighbor This is the kind of people we are to be. This is the kind of son and daughter we are called to be. And we are called to do this first with those closest to us, where it's hardest because we are in close contact and we live together and we're close. Church family, we're close together. We raise our kids together. These little children that, uh, young people that were here, we raise them together. We interact. our, our, Our kids interact. Our grandkids interact. We're in close quarters, friends. And we are called to practice this here first before we think we can do it for the world. And finally, and we touched on this a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to say too much more about this because this this is a whole message and we talked quite a bit about this. I jumped ahead a few weeks ago. 
bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances. This is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. This is said to the church family. Paul is writing to the Colossians. Start this here, friends. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When it comes to forgiveness, we just have to remember there are two sides to it. There is being forgiven and there is forgiving. Whatever grievances, whatever. That's easy to say. I mean, I, I, in, in my pastoral counseling and all this in ministry and those of you that do counseling, you, you know there, there are deep hurts. Deep, deep hurts. And it's easy to say you must forgive. It takes time, and I understand, but at some point it comes down to this. Forgive whatever grievances. I remember Pastor Schutz, the pastor who preceded me, who I worked with for nine years on staff here, and I grew to love him very much as a, as a man of God and a teacher, as many of you, of course, did as well. I always appreciated he would point out to us quite often, it can be as much of a sin to take offense as give offense. Are you the kind of person that's offended easily? Are people always having to forgive you because you just get offended so easily? That can be just as bad. We are to forgive one another and we are also not to be so easily offended that people are always walking on edge around us. They're thinking that maybe they've said something to offend us. We are to forgive and we are to be forgiven. This is the kind of people we are to be. And then finally he says this in verse 14. How do we put all this together? He says, here's how you put it all together. This is a big task. This is not easy. I understand that. I'm not about to stand up here and say, well, look at me. I've, I've accomplished all these things. I could say that. But if you came and lived with me for a week, you would see that's not true. Or a day. Or an hour. <laughs> but he says this. He says, above all these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I put the word verbal up there because it's interesting in the original language, there's the definite article, the, and, it, and, it, and, it, and put on isn't even really there. It's, it's implied from earlier, the love, the love. It sounds kind of funny in English. Put on the love. It's a verbal concept. Love is doing, right? It's one thing to say you love somebody. It's another thing to live like you love somebody. How do we know God loved us? It would be one thing for God to say, I love you. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He did something. He acted upon it. He took the initiative. God so loved the world, not just you and me, but the world. Think of, think of the, the most unlovely you know, in the world. God so loved the world. The Apostle Paul says, I was the most unlovely. God came into this world to save sinners of whom I am first. Because I persecuted the church. I did not deserve this. I killed people who were Christians. I persecuted them. But he chose to love me. He acted upon it. 
When the Bible says we are to put on love, you know, it's like, it's like taking the last of the garments. This is considered a three-piece suit, right? When I wear two pieces, you think it's new. If I put the third piece on, it's not so new anymore. But this is the idea. It's the idea to, to take on this, the last thing, to put it on and to, and to bind everything up with love. In the Roman world, they would take that, that, that large belt and put it around their robes and tie it up and, and secure everything. Bind it up. Put it on. This is the, this is the thing that, that brings it all together is the agape love that God has for us and we are to have with, for one another. And it, is, it implies that we live it and we do it. It means we sacrifice. It means we give. I think in my, in my family, I think of my mother and how she, I can always remember one time for her it must have been Mother's Day or something. We got together as adult children and, and paid for her to get eyeglasses. She would never buy herself eyeglasses. When my father died and she didn't have anything and she raised us, she raised my brother and I especially. My sisters were teenagers and they were on their way to college and we were, you know, and, and, and God provided. But, but she would never spend anything on herself. And it was just like this amazing thing that we would buy her eyeglasses. But yet if we had needed eyeglasses, it would have happened. Right? We went to church camp. There was never a question. It was expensive in those days. Camp's expensive, right? It costs money. But that was never a question. She even sent me to Malibu one summer. It cost $100. She was probably making three seventy-five an hour. But it wasn't a question because she sacrificed. We sacrifice as parents. Teresa and I, we, you know, we sacrifice. You sacrifice. Our parents sacrifice. Teresa's family is the same way. Her parents have seven kids, but they sacrifice for their kids. And I tell you, anything having to do with youth group or church, that was not an issue. It, somehow it happened because they knew how important it was. They gave. They did. They showed their love. And I want to encourage you today, friends, that you are to put on this sacrificial love and to give. To give to your family. And not just stuff. Maybe more than anything, it's your time. And to sacrifice and to do that. And finally, he says this. And friends, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. What's interesting there, the word for rule there, again, in the original language, we would maybe, it would be the word umpire. It would be the person at the games who made the decisions, who made the judgments. We are called to let the peace of Christ that passes all understanding to guide us in our decisions, to guide us in our lives, to guide us as we walk and we live for Christ. Let love bind everything together. By loving one another, you bind yourselves together as though you are one. And at the end of the day, it is only love that can hold together a congregation, a family of different people. The peace of Christ to serve as an umpire. It's only here in the New Testament to guide you in the decisions you should make. To rule in your heart. To know Christ better. To know Christ stronger to allow his peace to rule and to help you make the right decisions. I want to close with this. 
be thankful. We're going to come back tonight and talk about the rest of this passage because we need to include this. But I want to just ask you as we close the service today, as I look at this list of qualities that, that God has called me to have, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And I look at that list, and I can identify in my life some areas where I need to put those on a little better. Can you? Is there an area of your life right now? Is there a person or people in your life right now that you know God wants you to be more compassionate, kinder, more humble, gentle, patient, or you need to forgive? Is there anybody in your life right now? Is there any situation in your life right now that you need to ask God, Lord, help me to put this article of clothing on? You know this is one I struggle with. You know I struggle with humility. You know that. Would you please help me to put that on to be like Christ? You know I'm not very kind to this person. Listen, friends, God has put people in our lives. It's easy to be lovable to the lovable people, but there are people in your lives who it is not easy to be kind to. Have you asked God to help you put that on? And do you need to forgive somebody? Can God help you to put that on? Put these clothes on. It's like we put on the clothes, you put on the robe of love, and you allow the peace of Christ to umpire in your life. This is very practical. It's one thing to say, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that. But what should you start doing? This is what God has called each of us to start doing and to start now and to start here and to start with those closest to you. Which ones of those would you like God to change in your life? He will do that for you. If you are willing to allow him to do so and to take those steps to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trainer, come up, you guys, and let's close our service. We have a great song we're going to close our service with. Lift our voices in worship and praise. And we'll leave this place rejoicing once again. Every Sunday that we meet, you know, is Resurrection Sunday. We meet on the first day of the week because it's Resurrection Sunday. It's new life. It's a new beginning. And God has given us the joy of celebrating that together. Let's sing together. Amen. Hey, Cliff, can you put the, last, the first stanza back up there for me? The very first stanza. The first stanza there. Listen, friends, you look at that stanza. That's, that's, some, hard, that's some hard words there. Those are words that that people could take offense at. But friends, this is the heart and soul, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make no apology for it. This is the heart and soul of, of why today we can gather as a family of God and that we have the hope of eternal life. Think of that. Resurrection. Eternity with our God and all those who have gone before. There is a fountain filled with blood at Christmas time, we sang about, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us from his veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. That might sound hard, but look at the result. Lose all their guilty stains. Isn't that good news? If I were to die today and stand before God, 
I will stand there without guilt for my sins because of the cross of Calvary. And no one knows better than me that I don't deserve that. And no one knows it better than you. Friends, this is good news. And if you're here today and you have not received that good news, I beg you, why? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life and the joy of the Holy Spirit and begin this journey living the kind of life we've talked about today through the power of God? Father, we thank you today. And I just lift up today, Lord, if there be a person here, and every one of us that know Christ as Savior, Father, we pray this prayer that, that you would open their heart to the gospel, this good news. As we come toward Easter and the, what we call the Passion Week, Palm Sunday, and we think, of the, we think of what weighed on the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ to know what he was going to go through physically, but also to, to suffer the punishment for sin, how that must have weighed on his heart. But he did it. He chose to do it. And if there would be a person here today, Lord, who has never received that forgiveness for sins, I just pray you would open their heart right this minute and they would say yes to you. And they would say, Lord, I know that I am a sinner. That I can't save myself. And I've heard today that you love me and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. He's risen from the dead, conquered the grave, and I receive his payment for my sin this day, and I humbly receive eternal life. Friends, say yes to God. And all of God's family can proclaim together, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Serve the Lord with joy and gladness this week.